Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I'm excited to welcome Ramzi Bouzerda as my guest. Ramzi is the founder and CEO of Drupal, a Swiss clean tech building the Internet of Water with the aim of making the world aware that water matters. We've been regularly addressing the various aspects of digitization in the water industry, the last time no later than last week with KTM's stake at hydraulic modeling. Yet, there's a dead angle both in this coverage and in the water sector's interpretation of the matter. And it's not like it would be a small portion that we regularly forget. We are talking of several tens of billions of water assets. All of these have a common trait. They're located beyond the main water meters. So the question is, what can it unlock to connect all of those and build the Internet of Water? Well, good news, that's exactly what Ramsey will cover in a minute. Right before, let me remind you that if you like what you hear, please share this episode with a couple of colleagues and friends. Please do it, and I'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Ramsey. Welcome to the show. Hi, Antoine. I'm very happy to have you because I might be challenging today with you a bit, I have to say, because you're in a field which is at the same time a fascinating field and also a field where you see a lot of different approaches and usually all those approaches are using the same words. So I'm going to try to dive a bit beyond the word. So the buzzwords for today might be IoT, smart water. But let's keep that for our deep dive because right before, I love to start with a postcard. And the postcard today comes from Pidu, right? Yes, Pidu. Pidu is uh, in Switzerland. It's in the French part and maybe one of the beautiful parts of Switzerland because we are protected by UNESCO. Pidu means in French fresh water well, and uh, it's all about water. So for us, it makes totally sense to settle our headquarter here. So somehow your headquarter tells what it's all about. So it's about this, this yes. safe water. Yes. But your path wasn't always about water. Let's start with a weird question. How old is your son? Oh, I have many sons. So the oldest is uh, 16 and the youngest is uh, almost six. Okay, so I guess your story is about the youngest, right? Yes, exactly. The youngest is maybe the, the first uh, founder of Drupal. <laughs> so it's because of him that you're into the field of water. Exactly, Antoine. Uh, it's because of him because I tried to fill my baby bottle uh, of Naim at 3 a.m. in my kitchen and uh, I tried to fill precisely 300 milliliters of water. I feel too much and then I filled out a bit. It was too much again and I made this iteration four times. And finally, at 3 a.m., I, I had a sparkle of intelligence of light where I was telling to myself why my faucet tap can't help me fill that baby bottle in a better way. 
So that means that the elevator pitch to Drupal is the clever way to fill a baby bottle? Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, the elevator pitch would be connect with your water. Connect with your water. I guess we're going to unbundle that in a minute. But, but you know, right before, you have a typical Swiss bath. I mean, working in uh, IT, consulting, and of course, banking. Yes. So... You made it really right in life. And then at some point, you had that weird thing in the middle of the night with, with your son and said, oh, I want to go to the field of water. Yeah. But why? Yeah, why? It's interesting because I think it's echoing with my childhood. I was not born in Switzerland. I, I was born in Algeria, in Constantine, actually. It's a very old city built on a rock and on rivers. And in Constantine, 40 years ago, I was six years old, and uh, we don't have water every day. So you have to secure your water. We have droughts. And we were living at the 11th floor of a 12-floor building. So the pressure in the water grid was not high enough to bring water up to the 11th floor. Which means that with my mother, my grandmother, we had to fill tanks of water. So you have to go down. Of course, the lift doesn't work by that time. Uh, I think it doesn't work even today. So it means that, yeah, you have to go down with your tanks, fill water and lift them up, up to the 11th floor. And actually, if you cannot secure water on a day-to-day -day basis your life is not really the same. Meaning that you will think first about how I can secure that water and everything else is bonus or I would say not really important. So the meaning for you to go into water is absolutely clear, but nevertheless, how hard is it to take the plunge? You have a good situation and you say, well, Still, the meaning is too strong. I have to take the plunge and to become a water entrepreneur. Yeah, that was a very difficult decision because, of course, with four children, a family, a very good uh, salary in, in the banking industry, that plunge means a lot of sacrifices. But, however, my wife helped me make this decision. The purpose of the startup helped me make this decision. And I think it was also something that was calling me from inside. So how I can reconnect to something that was in my childhood and yeah, making something that has a meaning, has a purpose. So you mentioned this purpose. If I get it right, that is building the Internet of Water. Yes. Is, is that a right definition? Yes, the vision is, is that, yeah. Because actually, if we look today on how water works, so basically utilities are spending a huge amount of effort, money, and infrastructure. So sourcing water from surface water, groundwater, bringing it along the water grid up to your tap. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of cost. It's a lot of maintenance and so on. But at the end, ultimately, the end customer, if he's not paying attention to what he is doing with his water, 
then all those efforts are lost. And there is a, a very uh, important economic aspect related to that, is that the cost of water at the sourcing is maybe the cost of energy for the pumping. So let's say 15 cents per cubic meter. Now you go on the main meter of a building. In Switzerland, let's say it's $1 per cubic meter you will pay that water. Now you go to the point of use and you will see that a softened water with your softening system will cost you more. If you go to a restaurant and buy a, a water carafe with sparkling water, you will pay it 10,000 more than the basic one that you have paid at $1 per cubic meter. So it means that the same water, the same water that has been brought to that building is used and leveraged with far more margin for the point of use than for the point of entry. And this economic aspect is very important for me because actually, if we cannot balance this last mile of the water grid and with the money we, the businesses are doing with and the utility struggle to bring that water up to them, we have to balance this margin to make really a change. And that's the purpose of the Internet of Water is that making more transparent how we use that water on the last mile will benefit ultimately to those utilities that are bringing that water to them. So that means that your playground is that last mile? Yes, definitely. It's where actually we are not able... Today, it's very important to understand that we are still completely blind to what happens after the main water meter of any building, residential, commercial, or industrial. So let's imagine something. You, I give you money. You have a budget. So I give you money. You are the building. So you receive that water. Let's say it's the, your budget. And you are spending that water for outputs. So let's say tap, flush, let's say appliances, let's say filtration systems. You use that water. But if we are talking about money, you will know, you would like to know how that money is spent. Mm -hmm. Today, we are not able to say how that water is spent inside the building. And does that have consequences today? Yes, of course it has. One consequence is that we are not able to predict the maintenance of those water assets, of those water endpoints. That's first consequence. The second one, if you think now about a building, you have hot water production and hot water consumption. Today, we produce hot water without knowing really when someone will use that hot water. Mm -hmm. By connecting the endpoints, we can connect and provide a feedback loop to that production and reduce by up to 20% the energy consumption for making hot water. So that means that within this last mile, you found, if I got it right, 36 billion water assets yeah, which more should than be that. connected more than that, more than 36 billion. Yeah, because yeah, I was yeah. trying to make the math, you know, 36 yes, billion. Yes, let's make the math. That's a very good point. It makes over six per person, right? 
Yes, but it's actually more than that. Let's say now uh, Xylem, McKinsey have made estimations of what is the main meter market for water. They estimated worldwide that we have roughly 3 billion of water meters. So meaning one meter per building. Now you take a multifamily building, let's say uh, with three apartments, you take only uh, three rooms apartments, you have at least seven endpoints that are consuming water between sanitaries, between appliances, and maybe filtration systems, at least seven. So you take that seven, you multiply by three for the number of flats, and you have 21 water endpoints in that building. And it's a very conservative estimate. And you multiply that by three, and you have actually 63. And we know that if you go in New York City, it's not three apartments in a building, it's a tower of I don't know how many. So that's the first point. The second one is that by 2050, 70% of the world population will live in cities, actually. And what is completely mind-blowing is that we are building New York City every single month to reach that figure. So basically, the number of water assets on the globe is maybe the biggest internet of things off radar today. It's very interesting what you just say, because I had Aaron Tartakovsky on that microphone and we were discussing reuse of water within a building. And he was giving the same statistic that you just shared about this Manhattan, which is built every month. But he was drawing completely different conclusions because he was saying that is the sign that we should be reusing a lot within the building and that the missing piece is this reuse in the building. What you're saying is that there's a big perspective for utilities to have a better sight of this last mile. I guess it's not contradictory. It's just that it's different approaches. Yeah. It's complementary, I think, because you are totally right, Antoine. Today, the paradox is that in Switzerland, for example, we use potable water to flush our toilets. Look at this. So think just one second, if I'm in Algeria now, and I will say to people, use potable water for your flush, and you don't have enough water to drink in a day, you will have really troubles to debate on this. Yeah, sure. And now we use actually potable water in Switzerland because we think we have sufficient water for a long time, maybe not, but we cannot really continue like that. We have to reuse that gray water and so on to make a better use of that water. So we have these 36 billion and maybe more assets. Why? Do they need to be digital? Yes. Why? That's a very good question. This last mile, as I said, so you, you have a huge ecosystem around those assets. Why it is used? Because first, you have the service provider that is selling and maintaining those assets. So the cost of unplanned maintenance is almost 30% of unplanned maintenance has a huge cost for them. That's one. The second one, we forget that there are a lot of consumables attached to those water assets. 
I give you examples. Let's take a dishwasher. You have tablets related to the use of your dishwasher. Someone, a player like PNG or others, sell those consumables to you because you are using your dishwasher or your washing machine or your filtration system or your toilet. You use paper with your toilet. You use soap with your faucet tap. And all those objects, all those consumables are intimately related to the use of water at this point of use. So the point of use, the water asset, is the conjunction, is the crossroad for the service provider, the end user, the consumable reseller, and also, of course, we forget it, the manufacturer of this water asset. And the data you can extract from that water usage in terms of flow, temperature, hardness, and other quality parameters will benefit to all this ecosystem. And I think digitizing those water assets has a huge benefit beyond the simple water usage and savings. So it has a larger impact than that. I guess what you're hinting to now is that this data can bring a lot, which makes a lot of sense, but that means that this data needs to integrate to something. It's not just about producing data, it's about logging that data and maybe doing something about it. What is your approach there? Yes, and that's actually, it comes back to the internet of water because <laughs> it's also a paradox. Water has a lot of paradox. It's a vital resource, it's very cheap. Actually, it's a vital resource and we don't have so much data on how we do with that water. So it's very interesting. And our approach on how we can leverage and how we use that water data is first trying to actually be agnostic from the sensing part because we think that sensing is important, but it's not the value of the data. The value of the data is how you can correlate the events of that usage within this grid on the last mile. I give you an example. Today, Drupal is able to assess if someone has washed his hands after using toilets. So we use that simple principle for schools, for example, and we are now promoting hand hygiene in schools by equipping restrooms, and we show them live the hygiene score evolving if they wash their hands after using toilets, if they stop the water flowing while they wash their hands, it goes up. If they don't, it goes down. The average time of hand wash, if it's high enough or too low. So bringing data on a single point is interesting, but it's not really where the added value is. Actually, the added value is how you can build this intelligence that is able to correlate what is happening on all the water assets and cross-matching those data to actually extract additional insights. So you're translating raw data into insights. Yes, yes. How do you do that? 
Actually, with, with our intelligence platform, we have developed this small iLink device, which is sensor agnostic, but is able to convert in a first step raw data in pre-noted data, meaning that we are able to assess if we had many cycles. A cycle is a one usage of water. It could be of different length, of different flow, volume, and so on. And he pre-noted those water data before sending those data to the cloud. And on the cloud, we use different machine learning, statistical techniques to actually understand what is happening in that space, not only on one water asset, but trying to understand, actually, if you have a problem on this water asset, is it affecting other water assets or not? Are we able to determine, for example, if we have a a hardness value of water at this point of entry, is it affecting my dishwasher or my appliance that is in the network or in the grid uh, of that water? So... That's the idea of how making actually insights. It's not about just getting the data and showing simple analytics, which is important because we have to understand that, but how we can go to the extra mile and provide hidden insights that will help to understand actually if someone is using too much water because he is actually uh, spending too much time in many assets or, or something like that. So that's, that's the idea of Drupal right now. Let me take an extreme example just to be sure I get it. So you mentioned this example of someone would be going to the toilet, would flush, and then goes outside. So you see that there was nothing with the faucet, so he wasn't washing his hands. So level one of digitization would be to say, I have all those values, I put them on the platform or in a database somewhere. And if someone was to go to that database, he would be able to notice that. What you're saying is that we can do that much better. Instead of that, someone having to look for something, we say, look, we have sorted it out for you and he didn't wash his hands. Yes. You also mentioned something is that you can notice if he's not shutting down the faucet when he's washing his hands. And that brings me to my next question because actually what I would see potentially down the road as the next level would be, hey, you've been using the faucet for 20 seconds. I'm pretty sure your hands are wet. So let me shut it down for you automatically and then put it back on after one and a half minutes, which gives you also a strong hint that you should be washing your hands for one and a half minutes. It's now a stupid, extreme example, but this actuation step sounds to be the, the next frontier. Yes, yes, totally right, Antoine. Here we are talking about how we can leverage data as we today we don't have so many data. Once we are able to gather sufficient data and insights, then we can go back to the system and say how we can optimize your functions by stopping, by reducing the flow rate, and then we enter in a new era of synchronization or orchestration, I would say. Orchestration means if we are able today to predict the hot water consumption for a building or a house, for example, today we are able to do so. We 
equip all the endpoints, and we are able to, in one hour time frame, to tell you if someone will use hot water in terms of volume, in terms of period, and, and so on. Now you take those data and you give them back to the boiler. And then you can launch the boiler and warm up that water maybe 10 or 30 minutes prior to that predicted use. And here we enter in a true efficiency about water and energy because they are closely related. That's future. That's not... Yes. Okay. Future in one one year or two years. Close future. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, at least for Drupal, that's uh, precisely uh, some R&D projects we are working on right now. Yeah. You say at least for Drupal. So that's a good opportunity for me to take two steps back. I said I would challenge some terms and you've been using IoT, digitization, AI. It sounds to me like today everybody is trying to do that or at least everybody is claiming to do that. So it's a very, very, very crowded market. And we know that the water industry itself is already very scattered. So in that very scattered market, everybody is doing that. And you come and you say, hey, I'm doing that as well, probably better, you'll tell me. But what makes you different there? Yeah, actually, our uniqueness is first our positioning. Today, all the water industry is focused on the water grid and on providing utilities with AI, smart water, IoT, and so on. But actually, of course, saving water due to leaks in the water grid, uh, better asset management, and so on, provide tangible and value for those utilities. The choice of Drupal is that this market is indeed saturated, is very conservative, So you can only bring innovation with very incremental process. And that's why Drupal have chosen to focus on the last mile because today the last mile, and I'm talking about between the main meter and the endpoint, is a desert. So that's first. Second, we are today the only platform, I would say, that is multi-sensing. We can do pressure, flow, hardness, and much more, we, we are sensor agnostic. So we are open to onboard new type of sensing, if it makes sense, if there is a business case. Actually, today, it's funny, but we have also gas applications where we are not talking about water, but actually we use gas within water applications. So it's funny to see that the medium is not always water. In terms of positioning, you mentioned how everybody's focusing on the network, and so that makes the reason why you go to that last mile. Nevertheless, on that last mile, you can still have many different positioning. And if we build the full vertical, it can go from the sensors, really hardware sensors, up to the full service company in the cloud and with all the in-betweens. I had that discussion with uh, Mina Sankaran on that microphone, and she was saying how her bets to that extent, was to have the full vertical. And if I get you right, you have some sensor. You say you're sensor agnostic, but you also have some sensor in-house. But you decided that the core of your value chain was this connector and the platform. How did you decide for that? Yes, it's a very good point. Indeed, the full stack 
positioning is very important because it gives you this ability to create verticals, verticals in different segments. And, and it's what we do, actually. But we have chosen this approach because we think that making sensors is not our strength, our USP. So we led that to sensor makers, manufacturers, and we worked with them to make sure that they will do sensors that use the minimum of energy, that are accurate enough for our applications and can talk easily with our iLink. So that's the first step. And now, actually, we think that today we act as a retrofit player, but we think that in the future, uh, in, let's say less than five years, we will talk with manufacturers in order to make Drupal inside for water assets. So for us, the road is to be in the water assets before its installation to leverage the power of Drupal inside any in-building applications. What I'd like to explore a bit is this platform. Yes. Because, I mean, you weren't at Aquatech here. Your team was there, but if I got right, you were on the Swiss Pavilion in Dubai, yes. right? Yes, <laughs> yes. But if you were walking Aquatech, every single company was having their own web platform and showing how if you use their hardware that integrates into their web platform. And I was thinking, you know, there's only so much platforms which you use in a day and it's not hundreds, it's maybe a few on one hand. So if everybody's building his platform, I doubt that everybody will be using all the platforms. But if I get you right, to you, the added value is not so much to go on the web platform and to look at stuff, but to get the insight. So that is your clever side solution, I would say. Yeah, uh, the front-end application is something that we let most of the time to our customers. So today and even in the future, because actually the, the front-end is most of the time a relationship that the end customer or the, the customer that has the relationship with the end user would like to keep. And what we see for Drupal is a power of providing insights that are somewhere written, powered by Drupal, meaning that we have the ability to compute, leverage, and provide insights that others can't because we have a deep knowledge of the data that is in stake. And then we can use that service, that Drupal service, in many contexts without having the client-facing uh, platform uh, by uh, itself. Last question on your focus, and then I'll leave you with that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you said the focus on the last mile. The last mile exists in building, so building technology and home appliances and hotels and hospitals, I guess. But I think the same kind of issues may exist in industry. Is it something you're looking at? Yes, indeed, we are looking at because it's also uh, an issue for the industrial uh, segments. Actually, we, we see that in food and beverage, in pharma, in, uh, in different industrial segments, actually. And we today are convinced that this last mile is a real issue because where you have assets that are out of reach for SCADA, for example. We talk a lot about SCADA, but actually you cannot deploy SCADA for a small facility or for assets that are not fit to be wired and so on. So 
There is an uncovered, untapped market on the, for the last mile that goes beyond to the common residential or commercial applications. Yeah, for sure. You're a B2B company, right? Yes. So who are your customers? Our customers, I would say we have three categories. The first one is filtration system manufacturers or service providers. Uh, let's say a few names like Kurita or in Japan or File Leader in, in the UK. So they make, sell and maintain filtration systems like ultra fine filtration, carbon activated filtration, aero treatment systems and so on. So we retrofit those systems and we provide them predictive maintenance. We enable them with automated procurement for the consumables attached to those systems. So if your filter is overdue, then the system order automatically a new cartridge. If you have a CO2 bottle empty, it orders automatically a new CO2 bottle to remove any downtime and to renew, uh, remove any inconsistent water quality over the time. That's one category. Now, the other category of, of customers are facility services companies. They actually clean shared restrooms in commercial malls, in airports, and so on, like Webego, for example, in, in Netherlands. And this company, we help them to shift from time-based cleaning schedule. You, you remember you have this paper sheet when you see in the restroom, everyone has made the check and so on. We remove that and we put a screen which is able, based on the water usage prediction, change the, the way we clean those places. So it's no more time-based, but affluence-based cleaning schedule. And the schedule is updated live on the screen and the cleaning staff scan the QR code to acknowledge that they have followed the cleaning schedule. And you see, the way we, we do that is that we go beyond just monitoring water usage. We use water usage as a proxy for human activity, for business processes. And that's the key and the USP of Drupal is going beyond just measuring water usage is how we can use that information for other purposes. What is your business model to do all of that? Is it sensing as a service? Do you sell your iLink? How does it work? It's a hybrid, sticky business model, I would say. First, we sell the hardware, of course, with the objective to make a very low margin on it. And the value is on the software plan, which could be, actually today we, we are almost uh, a monthly basis. So you pay as you go. Once you activate the device here, you scan it and register it on the platform. You attach it to an asset and then you start to pay. And you can stop and that's it. So the business model is really based on how you can make it easy for them. So we don't install our hardware. All our customers install our hardware by themselves. So we made it very easy on that side. And on the other side, on the software, we are very agile and flexible to create modules or we let them 
to create their own modules on the platform because we are the engine that is able to processing the data and then we provide them the insights and they do whatever they want with the, those insights for their customers. One very simple hardware question about your iLink. Uh, how do you power it? Yes, it's battery operated. And that's the power also of our full stack solution is that today it's the only IoT device battery operated that can last between five and 10 years, depending on the frequency of the data. So this device is patent pending and we have optimized every single piece of code to be such efficient in terms of energy consumption, in terms of communication capabilities, and also in terms of flexibility and versatility because we can connect many sensors to one iLink. It's not only one, we can connect up to four sensors with one iLink and fooling those sensors with a single battery. Okay, so just to be sure I get that one right. So I mean, if you have, I don't know, pressure, temperature, uh, suspended solids and pH, you all collect them to one iLink. Yes, yes. Which will still last five to 10 years in battery. Of course, more you connect, Uh, sensors, you reduce the, the battery lifetime. But with two sensors today, for example, a faucet tap, we can connect hot water flow and temperature and cold water flow and temperature with one iLink. This is the twin version for the faucet tap. You can last between five and 10 years, for example. That sounds... I think I have to discuss with you of the record. Yeah, <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> you mentioned customers in Japan, in, in the UK, in the Netherlands. How worldwide are you today? Today we cover three continents in, in North America, Europe, and, and Asia. We have customers in Thailand, in Japan. We have a bit more than uh, 60 customers. It's a challenge because... With LoRaWAN technology, you have to be also uh, compatible with US or North America frequencies, European frequencies, and Asia frequencies. This device is, with firmware update, can be US compatible, EU compatible, or Asia compatible. That's also a very important aspect of the IoT landscape, which is very complex, actually. So it's sensor agnostic, but also somehow region agnostic. Exactly, exactly. Which must simplify the product development, I guess. Exactly. That was one of the key criteria for our development. I have a very financial question. I was trying to look where you are right now in terms of development of your company, and I saw that you closed a seed round of 1.5 million Swiss franc six months ago. Yes. How do you... Oh, let me be very, very blunt and direct here. Is it uh, like VC money that you burn and you want to make a big market share? Or what is your vision there? Is it like... It's the IPO, let's be frank. So today, indeed, we, we have made the first step in terms of fundraise. We are doing now a pre-series A uh, of 6 million, uh, a mix of equity and debt for, I would say, Q1 2022. So we are now in discussion right now for that. And actually, if we manage very well this phase, we should be able to reach the break-even in 2024. 
So after that, we should be able to raise funding in order to accelerate the growth of the company. But the ultimate goal is to make Drupal in a, a traded public company, which has, I would say, which will have some kind of uh, same setup as Google, for example, with Alphabet and different verticals. Because we see that our technology would be applied for different segments, not only water. And yeah, there is a huge potential for Drupal in terms of development here. So that's the vision. But what about the path? I mean, I know that I'm repeating that question quite often, but you know, I'm always wondering if hypergrowth is something which works with the water industry. You just close the seeds, you're preparing a pre-series A, and your North Star is the IPO. But in between, you can choose to grow bootstrapped or to be winning aggressively the market share. Exactly. Here, uh, I would say we, we see a, an opportunity to make partial exits with big players in different segments. Let's say now Drupal has built this full stack technology, but we can apply it in different segments. So let's say now we would like to get rid of filtration segment. Maybe we are interested to sell that part of the business and continue the growth because we would like to make our growth in the real estate segment. So the markets open to us are very large, meaning that we either we would like to keep them all or we sell part of the business in order to fuel the growth of other biggest market segments. In your marketing, you're mentioning you're a Swiss company. I mean, it's probably the first adjective that comes. And, you know, I'm, I'm working for a Swiss company, so I get the feeling. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's also kind of an empty argument sometimes. So how Im important is it for you to, to be Swiss and to define yourself as a Swiss company? Yeah, it's a, a very good point. Because we think that Swiss innovation, Swiss quality, we, we are talking about tangible product. We, it's not about just software. And maybe we, if we were just software, maybe we have to go to Silicon Valley and, uh, and, and we would be more attractive in that sense. So here we have a tangible product with very strong USP and quality. And Swiss quality products has really its value. There's an appeal, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, Swissness is, is also part of our DNA because uh, I would say um, we came from here. I'm, I'm very proud to have grown up here in Switzerland. I benefited so much from Switzerland in comparison to my, my born country. So I would say there is a, a love uh, with, with our country, I would say. I think I, I read in, in one of your interviews that you, you were mentioning that there's a 4.5% of the GDP of Switzerland is in this ecosystem around IoT and, uh, and smart appliances. Is that important to, to have this kind of neighborhood and proximities with other players to emulate and bring fresh ideas? I think uh, Switzerland has proven that it's it's a startup nation. We are very strong to generate innovation. That's true. Maybe we are a bit more conservative for adoption <laughs> with this innovation, but that's definitely true. This 
ecosystem in startup ecosystem that Switzerland has built so far is very, very powerful. We benefit every day from that ecosystem. So as a startup, it's very important to be part of that. And uh, maybe it's the best place as a startup to start with such ecosystem because you, you have privileged contacts and relationship with research centers like our EPFL here in, in Lausanne, which is among the top 10 or top 20 top universities in the world. How close are you to the EPFL? Are you working it's, with them regularly? It's five, if 10 minutes, we have R&D project with EPFL right now, and we are 10 minutes uh, drive uh, from our headquarter. And I'm a PFL alumnus. Almost all the team members are EPFL alumnus. Okay, you can say alumnus or mafia. It's how, how, you, yeah. how you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can say mafia, yeah. <laughs> well, very clear. Uh, is there an elephant in the room which I would have missed about Drupal? No, I would say that we are raising money by Q1 2022. We are in, in talk with big players. And uh, of course... It's very interesting to see that the water VC or the water investment ecosystem sometimes look at us as a novni, as a, something that is very weird. Because I would say we don't pitch only water, but we pitch this holistic approach about consumables, about uh, how we optimize the processes around water and so on. So we are somewhere, uh, we are something weird, I would say, uh, if, I, if I would say that. So it's not a scoop, but it's my, <laughs> my finding. Well, that's a, a good conclusion, I guess, for this deep dive. What I propose you is to switch to the rapid fire questions. Yeah. It's time for the rapid-fire questions. So in that last section, I raised short question, which you can answer shortly as well. And don't worry, I'm always the one which is sidetracking the discussion. Yeah. <laughs> My first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? It's Drupal, but if I would like to take another one, it would be this platform that helps students to help other students. So I'm, I'm coaching students of seven and eight years old to make their own platform that will help students help other students in terms of, you know, schools, courses, and so on. So that's, for me, a, a very uh, interesting project because I helped others make their own entrepreneur journey. And uh, with children, I learned so much. So for me, it's a it's really cool project. I warned you about the sidetrack. You mentioned this entrepreneurial journey. You know, I've been mentioning a lot on that microphone how, for me, before meeting entrepreneurs, I never thought entrepreneurship was something possible in the water industry. To me, you would go work for a big group, which is what I did. I was working for Suez, and that's it. And and it's awesome, and it's a cool industry to be in. But I mean, the, the entrepreneurship option wasn't really in my radar. Is it the same for you? Or how do you share that? that more people take that as a possibility? Yeah, I, I would say um, it, it's a possibility. Actually, I see entrepreneurship as intra 
entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship. So you can actually have both ways, which will lead you to the same goal, I would say, to be more empowered, to do things that makes more sense and challenge the statu quo. That's the purpose of, of entrepreneurship or intrapreneurship. So entrepreneurship, you do it on your own. Intrapreneurship, you do it inside the company, but you act as an entrepreneur. Exactly. Because big groups like Suez, George Fisher maybe, and, and others need some challengers, need some insiders that are able to move all those silos and so on. And I think water industry needs those people. So we need them outside the companies to actually shake a bit the market and also inside those big groups in order to open to more innovation, to more collaboration with startups and so on. I think it's about opening the silo somehow because you're, again, another example from someone which comes from outside the industry and, and brings a breath of fresh air within the industry. And there's much more of these outsiders which bring that in than people which are already sitting in that industry and which all of a sudden realize I can do something. I can do the, the parallel with the banking industry. It's exactly the same. Actually, the people that are outside the banking industry are able to shake that industry. People that have grown up inside the banking bed, it is more difficult because you learn so much, you are a bit formatted and so on. Sometimes it's very difficult to challenge your own situation, your own position, your own way of doing things. Okay, I close my side track. I bring you yeah. back on track. <laughs> Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way? Huh. Yes. Uh, I would say uh, that fundraise for me is not something that I, I love to do, to be honest. I actually dislike doing fundraise because you are trying to sell yourself and your project for a purpose that is good for the company, but actually in your guts, you feel that you should not do that because you are somehow diluting this purpose, this, this power and so on. So to be honest, I'm, I'm not good to that and uh, for that. So it's why don't wait too much to do that. Practice a lot if you don't want to make a fundraise. Uh, myself, it's very difficult. So I have to, to learn it the hard way. Is there something you are doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? I guess fundraising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, first. Second, um, I would say, yeah, look at your burn rate. Because uh, as a startup, you look uh, always at your burn rate, your runway, and all those things. So you, it's something that it's a true concern as an entrepreneur to make sure that you have sufficient money in order to reach the next milestone and so on. So, so that's the second one. The third one, it's maybe innovation without looking at uh, if you are taking too much risk and so on. I would love the time to say, oh, we have 10 million to spend in an innovation project and we don't care if it will come with something or not. So yeah, that would be a, a, great, uh, a great thing. 
What is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? And you're not allowed to tell me digitization. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, it's a very um, good question. The first one is education. Because today, the people that are managing water are people from the past, to be honest, like me and like everyone here. Conversely, the, our children are the people that will manage water in the future. So if we can educate our children now to make the people that will make water matter to people and make and preserve water in the in the future, then we will really change how we deal with water in the future. So it's my first first call. And the second one is to reimagine how this water value chain and economics is working. And uh, definitely we are doing something wrong by letting the burden on the utilities and letting businesses leverage that value on the on the last mile. We have to find a way to actually make business balance this value between the value chain. Well, along the same kind of tone, my last question is, if you were a world political leader, what would be your first action to influence the fate of the world's water challenges? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> It's a broad uh, question. Sorry. I would say the first one would be the the paper use scheme, which is actually is not the case today. Huh? If I take Switzerland, cold water is built through your surface, your uh, surface uh, of of rent. It's not your water consumption. If you take the electricity bill, you have your own electricity meter, you pay your electricity bill. For cold water, you don't have that. Why? I don't know. But actually, the first thing I will do is everyone will pay water according to his consumption. Sounds logic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, logic, but not yet. <laughs> well, Ramsey, it's been a pleasure. So as I like to repeat the pleasures, would you have someone as cool as you to recommend me to have on that very microphone? Uh, yes, uh, I can recommend you uh, Stephen from Liquisense, that is, uh, who is working on Legionella AI and uh, how we can better prevent Legionella inside the buildings. So it shows that water is a source of life, but could be also a source of death. And that's also all the power of water, actually. If people want to follow up with you, where shall I redirect them? LinkedIn. You can find me easily uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, um, and of course, if they would like to reach out directly, they can email me at ramsey.drupal.com. I'll put all the links in the description. Well, Ramsey, again, it was a pleasure. So uh, I'd love to see where this path is leading you, especially if you don't like fundraising. I guess the IPO or the big move is coming rather sooner than later. So whenever there's something big, that microphone is open to you. Oh, great. I look forward to it. Thank you, Antoine. And uh, I would love to come back and announce a big IPO. <laughs> <laughs> 
listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.